When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. And today's guests make me appreciate the patience of others. Please welcome for the third attempt, Andre and Terrence from Locrian. What you're listening to is our third attempt at this episode. Coincidentally, it's the third attempt at this intro. The first was scrapped due to a computer malfunction. The second had an iPhone issue. So take three was the final attempt. And it was worth it. Locrian has a new album set to release, so the timing couldn't have been better. Terrence and Andre tell me about their early bands and sounds, and how they met at a metal night party. They also tell me about their first gig and the band name, but they reveal their early band philosophy of saying yes to everything, and how that got them booked at a birthday party. We create a new genre for Locrian, and I call it aggressive atmospheric. And it makes sense when you consider their influences are artists like Popovu, Emperor, Twisted Sister, and Burt Yansh. So you kind of expect sound shifts when you hear how the band has evolved over the years. They keep their fans on their toes, but the reverse is also true. Fans are behind their recent release of archive recordings and keep messaging them about setting your Jetta on fire. Their latest release is titled End Terrain, and it's a pretty heavy dose of reality. The themes are pretty dark, but the musical palette expands with more synths and structure. Order Locrian's End Terrain on Bandcamp, stream it, check it out on Profound Lore Records, check out the show's stuff at performanceanx.threadless.com and ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Reach out at performanceanx on socials and buckle in for take three of Locrian on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Andre, you want to do it? Or you want me to do it? <laughs> Andre, uh, I'm the guitar player and other uh, assorted noises in the band Locrian. We have a new album called End Train coming out in April on Profound Lore Records. We hope you can listen to it. And this is uh, Performance Anxiety, the podcast. And I have performance anxiety. <laughs> oh, I got to do one too? What? That was perfect. Uh, I'm Terrence Hanum. I play keyboards, do vocals, and make a lot of noise. In Locrian, we have a new record called End Terrain coming out on Profound Lore. I have performance anxiety. This is performance anxiety, the podcast. <laughs> okay. Third time's a charm for yeah. part, parts and this episode. Yeah. How's everything going? Good, man. How are you guys doing? I'm well. Is Andre here? Not yet. I'm sure he will be. Oh, yeah. No problem. No problem. I purposefully decided not to look at my notes until we got on this because I kind of wanted to, ah. to to uh sound like it's the first Did time. Did anything survive from before? Only half. Oh, okay. Like the, the second session survived, but the problem was that we referenced stuff that we spoke about in the first half 
for sure. And so yeah. it wouldn't make any sense. So yeah. So let me um let me see if I can I'll text Andre. Okay. So you just sports at all? Am I into sports? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big Orioles fan. Uh um, oh nice. My, my whole life. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, I'm you know following the Ravens right now because they're pretty awesome at the moment, you know. So oh, it's yeah. been pretty cool. Yeah, for the NFL. My kids play a lot of soccer, so we follow soccer a little bit, but oh nice. Um, yeah. I'm I'm mourning my loss. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been um a few weeks of uh lots of coaches uh saying bye-bye, oh, you know. So the last 24 hours we've lost Saban, Belichick and Pete Carroll. That's nuts. That's that's combined Belichick I'm not surprised at. Like I was kind of like the, the dude was getting happy endings down at Mar-a-Lago. Like <laughs> I thought that was like the end of him. Like I was like, wait, he's still coaching? Like I hate the Patriots anyway. Like yeah. it's just like it's like I hate the Red Sox or whatever, you know? Like it's just like you know, Boston uh, sucks. <laughs> yeah, I hate Boston too. I've always hated Boston. Boston uh, to me, uh, Andre will be here shortly. All right, yeah, cool. He's logging in. Oh, no problem. Boston but, uh, to me is a lot like Philly. Like the towns are amazing. If you got rid of everybody who lived there. No, Philly's great. I love Philly. Actually. Oh, I, I, Philly can't stand is, Philly. I love Philly. I mean, I actually like Boston quite a bit. It's just like the sports teams are pretty insufferable <laughs> and the fans are pretty insufferable. And, oh yeah. Uh, I like Philly's fans. My dad uh, is a Philadelphia Phillies fan and oh, you man. know the Eagles have some kind of like magic sometimes when things are good. Um, yep. Although they, they were really doing great this year. They kind of blew it. Yeah, but, they did. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird. Like I was like, man, they're like the team to beat. And then they were, beaten yeah it's like yeah in here in baltimore there's a lot of like um fractured kind of like alliances because like the colts were here and then like so people there are people who like still like the colts yeah. no joke which, which is crazy people who they, like, love the steelers the colts just That's bolted like, in the middle of the night yeah, it was it, totally weird. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, that was like nobody nobody knew what was going on. No, it was really crazy. And then it was a long time with no football. And football is huge. Like I'm oh, a yeah. huge baseball nerd. And it's very weird to me because I'll be like, like it takes everybody forever because like no one cares about baseball because there's just so many games. And then oh, they'll yeah. like be like, Oh, the Orioles are good. I'm like, yeah, they've been good like all season. Like I'm just <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> Cause I'm like, you know, I'm not fair weather. I've been since I was a kid, like when in the nineties and the Orioles were awful, like yeah. I was like still going to games and cheering them on, you know, like, but yeah. Yeah. I, I so. loved baseball for ages and ages until the, the I think the 95 strike. And then I stopped watching it for like, I don't know. And until we moved back up to Virginia and then uh, yeah. that was 2006. So the Nats were just brand new. And so I started yeah. listening on the radio on my commute yeah. home and that got me back into it. And I, I became a huge yeah. Nats fan. Yeah. Nats, Nats had a really rough year this year. Yeah. Normally they're a pretty, you know, we have a, a kind of beltway classic between both the Orioles and the Nats. Pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, it just was like, wow, they're like, you know, you're actually in the past. I was like nervous. Like if I'd see their, the record, be like, Oh man, they got like throw away these three games. And like, 
<laughs> and then this year I was like, Oh, not so bad. Like they did yeah. great, but, but they were good. I think they did the right thing this year and it's just going to be a long haul. Like people are super stoked. It was pretty awesome. Like I got to a few games. I got to see turnstile throw out their first pitch. That oh, was pretty nice. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. There's some cool stuff. Like, and they're great, like a good team, like lots of players and young new players. And it's like, they're all sticking around. So that's the best. Like, it's like, yeah, it's, you know. the Nats don't like to do that anymore. They get young no, talent. They're like, you know, well, we didn't either. We got rid of like, I'm trying to remember, like we got rid of all these players. I remember one year there's this guy <laughs> and I was like, man, he's such a good pitcher. I can't remember his name right now. Not Nick Marquette because it was a pitcher, but this other player. And I was like, man, I think he's good. Like I really liked watching them pitch and they got rid of him. He went to the Cubs and the Cubs like went to the world series with him and yeah. won. And I was like, <laughs> guys, like he had this, the, I thought he was pretty good. Like, yeah. I don't know anything, but I'm like, like, you know, I don't know about coaching pitching or anything, but I was like, he had his things, you know, but it's like, you know, he'd go out for three innings and it wouldn't be the best uh, or whatever. And it was yeah. like, I, yeah, but he can still strike people out and he still has good pitches after like 60 of them. Like, yeah. You know, uh, just a different game now. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Andre? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. welcome, hey, man. To, welcome to baseball talk. Oh, yeah. nice. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were just chatting about sports because my coach retired yesterday. Oh, yeah. Oh, roll tide. Roll tide. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, were to- thinking about the uh, the ridiculous amount of coaching changes that have happened in 24 hours. You know, Saban, Pete Carroll, and uh, Belichick. So combined, it's over like 900 wins gone yeah. out, of, out of football. It's pretty crazy. And I think, wasn't it the... A few weeks ago, there was a few other coaches because there was those big losses. Was it the Broncos coach got either like, if I remember correctly, there's another team and it was like that coach, another coach. And it was like, can you guys do this right now? Is this like normal? (laughs) Season's not quite over yet. I mean, that's. Yeah, it's like, maybe you guys got a few games left. I know. Maybe hopeless, but let's just finish it out, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of weird to me. Uh. But. Well, there's not that many games in football anyway. Yeah, exactly. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. Sorry. Exactly. So, well, welcome to take three of Locrian. It's going to be the best take. Yeah. Damn well better be. <laughs> my computer, my keyboard is fixed and I have the right dongle for my phone. So everything better freaking work. Awesome. And everything's registering on my software. So great. Let's keep our fingers crossed though. I was telling Terrence uh, that I did not bother to look at my notes because I kind of wanted to not <laughs> remember the last session and kind of yeah. keep things like where it was so it was more conversational and I didn't feel like I was repeating the same thing. So if I wrote something wrong or made mistakes in my notes, it's probably still there and I will make the same ones tonight. So as long as you guys are okay with that, let's just, let's just jump into this thing now. Sure. The way I normally like to start this is to find out a little bit about how each of you got into music in the first place. You know, what, what was influencing you as a kid? What made you, what really turned that switch to get you, want to get you into music and, and start playing music? Andre, what, what, how did you get into music uh, in the first place? Was it parents making you take lessons or was it something on the radio you heard? Um, I mean, when I was a really little kid, I heard Twisted Sister on MTV. And that was like my favorite song. So as a kid, Twisted Sister was really the thing that really first inspired me to get into heavy metal. The We're Not Gonna Take It song was uh, my favorite. And that made me, for some reason, I wanted to play the drums because I, I had like a pretty sick drum beat. And uh, my parents were like, I think you should play guitar. So they got me guitar lessons and I'd show up to guitar lessons and ask them how to play like a different like ACDC song every week because in uh, the Northern the North country, the part of New York I'm from ACDC is like what you hear everywhere. So that was still, still, <laughs> still. <laughs> that was really my gateway. And then, in, in, and then when I got to be a teenager, I got into hardcore. I had some friends who uh, would go to shows in Syracuse, which was maybe about a three hour drive. 
And they uh, they all had like the Earth Crisis All Out War demo and uh, the early chokehold releases. And I was like, I hated that stuff at first, and then I got really into it. And then I started playing in hardcore bands, and we started uh, doing shows in some of the surrounding uh, cities on the weekends. So that's kind of how I got into playing music. And then, okay. yeah. All right. So Terrence, how about you? What, what got you into it? I actually have a, I have a funny twisted sister note. And I was thinking about this other day is that I had come out and play on vinyl when I was like nine and this little Fisher price record player. And it was in the, like the cutout bin at the record store. And that's like afford my allowance. And it had this sewer lid on the cover and you flipped it up and D Snyder comes out of the sewer. <laughs> and I was like thinking about it the other day and I was like, where is that record? <laughs> like I, I, and I was like, I always thought it was cool. I don't know what happened to it. Like I, I have no idea, but it, I, I have a, a soft place for Twisted Sister. They actually meant a lot to me. Like Andre, they were pretty important. But uh, for me starting music, I, I always sang in the church choir and that's how I learned how to read, like kind of read music and understand harmony. And I sang, I sang in the choir at high school and in college actually, but, uh, kind of probably around the same age as Andre when I was like listening to come out and play on vinyl. I kind of begged my parents for a guitar, but I had to take trumpet lessons. Um, (laughs) They nice. signed me up for piano lessons and the piano lessons didn't take. And then I remember like, I kind of remember like I was in band in elementary school and they were like assigning chairs for the trumpet. And I was the last chair. Oh. And I was like, Oh, I'm not good at that. I remember, I remember thinking like, what chair am I? And like the teacher's like, well, you're the last chair. And I remember yeah. being like, Oh, I'm not good at, at playing trumpet. <laughs> so I wasn't very good at piano either at the time. It just wasn't, it wasn't cool. I wanted to like rock out like uh guns and roses and CC DeVille and poison. Oh, and man. Um, I didn't know, you know, anything. So I just would, I you know my parents got me a guitar and this little gorilla practice amp. And I just would sit there and listen to like Cinderella and ACDC and just like try and figure out what was happening. And then, and that kind of got me into like, getting things like guitar world and where they would tab out like what was happening. Oh, yeah. And um, so I would actually just kind of like, like I would just read the tab and like figure out, like even if I didn't know the song, I'd be like, well, what's that chord and what's this and what's that thing. And then to me, it was very visual. Like, Oh, this is a shape. Like I didn't know flatted fits or any of that stuff. Like, like Andre does, like he's a, he's a genius. I just was like, Oh, it's a formation and I can move it. And it sounds weirder on this fret. And that's how I kind of figured it out. And then kind of like Andre, you know, probably in like, I think my first band was like, I was like 12 and, uh, my, I'm very, I have a really awesome mom who let us take over the garage and, I had some friends who had pretty cool parents and they let us take over their garages in Florida. And we just would play like, you know, kind of like punk hardcore metal ish things that made no sense. Twisted sister covers. No twisted sister. We were, it was kind of like, it was definitely like a moment at that time where it was like, right as the Nirvana thing was happening, you're like, that metal's not cool. Right. And you were getting into like real metal. Like I was listening to a lot of like Sepultura and like, 
but I also was like, I cannot play like that. And, um, <laughs> you know, kind of like started playing a lot more guitar. And then like Andre, like we kind of how Andre and I connected, like I got into hardcore and a few of my friends in high school, we really were doing more with hardcore music and, um, playing lots of shows doing little tours in Florida. And, and, uh, I always kind of had a really abstract, you know, probably more gravity records than like uh, victory records, but I was playing like stranger chords and stuff and really into that making noise and messing around. I always had like synthesizers at home and that's kind of how it progressed. Cause at the time, you know, at that time there wasn't like a YouTube or whatever you kind of were like, yeah, yeah. Buying weird records and finding stuff and you realize someone made this weird sound and you'd be like, well, how'd they make that sound? And you start like my brain would start to figure that out. So yeah, you're, you're buying out. records based on, for me anyway, liner notes from other bands that I like, you know, they're thanking this band or this band or it had some really sure. cool artwork or something. So are you reading the interview and they, th- and they would say like, well, you gotta listen to like, I was really in the Sonic Youth thing, but like, well, you gotta listen to Swans. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta go find this Swans band, yeah. you know? And like, be like, <laughs> where do I find a Swans? And yeah. like, you know, like, it was just like, maybe, you know, maybe you're like, an, I in my small city in Florida, it would be like, you know, you go to the mall and you're like, do you carry swans? You know, or whatever it is. And they would be like, uh, maybe. And I get this book and they like flip through this book and like yeah. find the thing. And like, maybe I had computers then, but I remember there was like a book and they were like, you know, like I would be like, do you have Afghan wigs? And they're like, what? And they like slip. Yeah, we can get you gently you know, on this record. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. You they know? have to order it for you and you have to wait for it to come in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you're like, crap, I only like one song yeah. and I spent all my money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, so I know that you guys, before Locrian, you played in Unlucky Atlas together. Did you guys know each other before that or was that where you two met? Yeah, we met through my, uh, my old buddy who moved to Chicago from Buffalo, New York with me, or he moved a little bit before me. Uh, we used to live together, and he went to SAIC with Terrence, the School of the Art Institute. Okay. Um, and he knew Terrence from the School of the Art Institute because they bumped into each other on the um, on the L. Because yeah, he, had, he had on this like sick Asuk pin, and I I got to see Asuk quite a bit living in Florida, and was a huge fan, and uh, was just like that's you know we started talking and. Alex was a great ph- photographer at that time. He's an amazing performance artist now. He's doing these killer performances in Berlin. But at the time, that's kind of how we met. I think we hung out to listen to metal. Is that right, Andre? Yeah. Yeah, we set these <laughs> metal night parties at my house. So, yeah. Oh, Terrence nice. Came over to my apartment and we hung out and listened to like Emperor and Watchtower and Voivod and just bonded over all like these, these metal bands that we were into. Yeah, like Creator, Pleasure to Kill. It was like, and I remember bringing that and Megadeth, Rust in Peace. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was I, still, I, that. still one of my favorites. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely one of their best. <laughs> Debut Marty Friedman on that one. <laughs> but it was just cool to find other people because I think at that time, you know, there was like bands like The Darkness that felt like very tongue in cheek about metal or even like, like I really like Andrew WK, but it felt like very self-aware 
and there's like this irony that was like attached to it. Yeah. And I just was like, I liked how I liked metal when it was like, when it did take itself seriously and it, it felt intense, like deicide Legion or death and leprosy. And you didn't know everything that the band thought and all their stupid you know, interviews or whatever, you kind of like found yeah. these records by word of mouth and you'd be like, this is so intense, you know? And, and it was just cool to find a group of people that were like, yeah, metal shouldn't be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, and, and then it was like so much other stuff. Like it wasn't in a vacuum, like metal was kind of becoming this, I don't know. It was kind of like getting this lifeblood into it at least in our region, in some ways, there was like serious conversations, really cool bands, like, you know, playing really cool venues. It felt like, Oh, like you could see some really good stuff. And that, that was just nice that there was like all this activity happening. Was unlucky Atlas the first time you guys played together? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I actually had started unlucky Atlas in college and my wife, Erica had joined and I had a lot of like rotating members kind of, and we moved to Chicago where I went to school for graduate school and met Alex and met Andre and Erica and I were kind of like, we should expand the palette. And so Andre came in and we had a lot of acoustic instruments and, um, and then Andre had another band at the time, so um, that he was doing a metal kind of tech death band, I guess. I don't know, Andre, you can correct me on that one, but yeah. And it was really good called Hexacron, and I really liked liked them a lot. Um, and Alex was in that band, so it kind of was a neat group of artists and musicians. How did you guys decide to start? playing together as Locrian. I know there is, is there a little bit of a time between Unlucky Atlas and, and Locrian or was it something that uh, happened pretty close after? No, it was, um, I had been sent like Andre and I, I've been sending him these other, like on the side, I had kind of like a noise tracks I was making. Okay. And I would send them, give them to him on like CDRs, you know? Um, And then, it kind of was super last minute. It was not really planned very well, but it worked out very well. But Andre's other band was supposed to play a show and I don't think they could. And then he asked me like, why don't we do this together? We, your noise stuff and guitar. And we kind of, did we, we did practice once, right, Andre? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, we practiced once and, uh, I think most of the time when we practiced, we were just like, uh, kind of like we do now, honestly, we were just, uh, like hanging out and then we were like, Oh, we should probably play some music. Uh, and, and uh, we played some music and then we were like, all right, let's just uh, play the show. And we showed up and it was a show that it was at this place called, uh, the mutiny in Chicago, yeah. which was on Western Avenue. Uh, not there it, anymore. It's not there anymore. So it used to be like this kind of an, it was kind of an amazing place. Like they would, they wouldn't pay people from what I understood, but they would let people drink as much as they wanted for the night. And so, uh, yeah. And they would, and it wasn't like, Oh, here's a glass. It was like, here's a picture of the thing you wanted. Let us know when you want another one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, the payment for the night. Oh yeah. You, you drank it. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So but, I mean, at that time we weren't really thinking about it. I don't think we thought it was serious, like record label serious or whatever, you know, like it was just like, let, this is cool. And, and we kind of began a practice of like, I mean, we recorded it. Like we recorded the set and we would, I mean, we listened to it and we're like, Oh, it's not so bad. And there are things we like more than others. And we're, and kind of became this, moment of reflection i guess like where we would record a live set because we were improvising around maybe a key that we knew we were in or like we wanted to get loud and then be quiet or quiet and then loud and then you know like it was like and then the, then there'll be a beat you know or whatever it was just, you know like pretty loose but that kind of made us not it took a while for us to be a little more serious but you know, but it was like uh, a lot of ref- listening back to improvised live recording and kind of like picking out the more successful areas. After this show and you guys decide, well, let's pursue this a little bit. couple of questions about that, that moment sure. in time, because I love the sound of, of low Korean. It's I mean, it sounds kind of like Pelican moving at like glacial speeds. It's so atmospheric and, and amazing sounding. Did you guys have that sound in mind after you started to, to consider doing this more often? And how did you choose Locrian as a band name? I'm, Cause I'm not, a, I'm not a musician, but I've done a little bit of research and I've sure. read that Locrian is not a favorite mode amongst many <laughs> musicians. <laughs> Andre, <laughs> we, we decided to do that show spontaneously, and they were like, "What's the name of your band?" And uh, I, I was like, uh, "Didn't really think about it too much." And my ex-wife at the time was like, "You should call it Locrian," and I was like, "All right," because I, I think I floated that name by her, and uh, I was like, "Terrence, how about Locrian?" And he was like, "Sure." Like we were both thinking that like we were never going to do this again, right? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> we were like we're probably going to get kicked out of this place. Uh, cause we're just going to show up and kind of like, uh, yeah. improvise and improvise around like heavy music, like heavy stuff. And we, we both didn't really want to repeat what son did because, uh, I think that's an, another place that we started. Like we don't want yeah, to, I think, but I think that that's important. Like that time frame, like to us, um, it was really exciting to find, I mean, some had been around for a bit, but that there were like all these different groups, like around like Malthus and, um, great Aturas and the Goslings and Nadja and all these groups that were kind of like, there's just two of them and they sound massive. Like it just was like, there's all these bands out there that were like kind of in metal, but kind of droney and like there was just something in the air at the time i think it kind of felt like i think like once we kind of came back from that set that live show we were like oh we can do this thing we can there's no reason why we can't yeah like if you know like if if all these other bands can kind of have these audiences like you know these are bands that would play at the empty bottle and it would be a pretty decent turnout and they weren't performing like easy. It wasn't like something to tap your toe to or whatever, you know? And, <laughs> you know, and I think that that kind of just gave us this encouragement of like, Oh, well we can, 
there's no rules. Like you don't have to be like drummer, bass player, guitar player, vocalist, you know, or even like Pelican who was before us. I mean, they were very successful. And at the time, you know, like, yeah, you can kind of groove to it and bang your head to it. But I remember at the time, like they got a ton of flack for not having a vocalist and like, when is it, when did the vocals start? You know, and yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, but this is the point, dude. <laughs> like, you know, like. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I don't know. I think that there was a something kind of in the air or the water or whatever at the time. And it was, you know, very encouraging that you know, if you showed up with two people and a stack of amps and a bunch of weird synthesizers, nobody's going to be like, get the hell out. They're like, okay. Like, you know, like it was, yeah. it was just the right moment, you know, like yeah. lightning bolt or black dice or whatever, like all these bands that were kind of wolf eyes, like the three, a trio would like, three suitcases of, of metal or whatever. <laughs> like what the heck's about to happen? You know, like that was cool. Like it was just like, cool, you know? So the format of the band was, you guys kind of had an idea. And the reason I ask is because I was looking at the debut, which is called three, which I kind of, I kind of like that, but the first it's one track and it's over 58 minutes long. That was so, so that you guys kind of had that whole thing in mind at that point from the beginning, then. Yeah, I have no idea what happened in that hour, but um, Andre, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember? Um, uh, honestly, that was I think the like uh, the second or third time that we played on WLUW, That's which is the radio station in uh out of is it northwestern or is it loyola i can't remember right now for some reason I think it was loyola but um okay. yeah yeah and, and yeah no, and i think they were like that was actually the time we were given between station identification and station identification and we we're just like okay like um that and that was really important <laughs> for us we were that was this artist his name's phil von zweck who's really involved in improvisational music at the time he had this radio show at like midnight to 3 a.m. or something like wow. that. And he would invite on all these experimental improvisational artists. And he always asked us on and we always said yes, because we made a kind of early rule that was really good when you were forming was to say yes to everything. And we kind of yeah. played some really weird shows because of that. <laughs> but uh like birthday parties and oh haunted houses birthday uh, parties yeah wow (laughs) yeah yeah oh my gosh what 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 kind of birthday birthday party for someone who was into metal but had never heard us before yeah so okay so i'll tell you the birthday party story so this was, I think this was around 20, 2009. Uh, and right before Steven joined. It was before Steven joined. And it yeah. was 
after we had been uh, written about and interviewed for the Chicago Tribune. Okay. And so they, uh, Andy Downing, this writer who's really great, uh, wrote this nice article about us. And so that exposed us to this new new group of people that were not really experiencing us at noise shows. So we got a call. I think it was like the week of this show. And this woman was like, oh, you guys are really awesome. And Bong Ripper uh, were supposed to play my birthday party, but they dropped out. And I'm thinking like, that sounds... I've never heard of this club you're doing the show at. Right. I, it was part of Chicago. I think it was it was called like Memories was the place. And somebody was... Man, not- you remember so much more than me. I've deleted <laughs> this from the memory file. Yeah, for good reason. For good reason. And, and she was like, I'll pay you... Uh, I think it was like 300 bucks. And I was like, well, I could use, I could use some money. And I think Terrence could use some money too. So I called Terrence and he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I was like, I've never heard of the band tour on this bill, which is a, a, not a good sign. Right. Uh, and so we go to this part of Chicago. I think it was like the, it was some, it, it, some Western part of Chicago, but it was almost a suburb. I don't even know where, uh, like Chicago I don't remember yeah. or something. And, uh, I mean, no, no offense to Chicago Heights. Uh, cause I know, uh, yeah, some cool people are from there, but then we go to the show. She pays us before we play which was good for us. And then there were some bands that were very different from us that played. Uh, and then it got to be our time of the night. And this woman whose birthday party it was, was quite wasted at that time. <laughs> uh, and Terrence was doing vocals and had all these effects on his microphone. So he had his stuff set up and I had like a full stack set up and we were getting ready to play. And the woman jumped on stage and tried to introduce us and she grabs Terrence's microphone. She's wasted. And the microphone is just like feeding back, feeding back everywhere. delay everywhere. Like I have a million delay pels on it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was just like, what the heck? And then she introduced us and it was like the most, uh, it, it, it demonstrated us that she hadn't really ex- learned, listened to our music before. Cause she was just like, this is the hottest new metal band and they're going to like blow your face off. And then, <laughs> uh, and then we, and I remember looking out in the crowd and thinking like, this is not, we didn't even have any friends there. Uh, the only thing that I remember being there was there used to be this metal store in Chicago called metal Haven, which you'd go there. And there were some really, um, incel type men that would work at the store. Uh, but it was guess, also a really cool shop. <laughs> it was a cool shop. Yeah. Um, but th- one of the dudes from metal Haven was there. And I remember thinking like, this is not, cause I think he was into more of like the, uh, I guess I would call like the elfish kind of dragon metal, oh, which is not yeah. really our uh, thing. No. And, and so Every person in the club left during our set. And remember, <laughs> they said no fog machine in the middle while we're playing. They're like, turn off the fog. And I was like, this isn't like an interview. Like you don't get to talk to me now. <laughs> yeah. The set is happening. I don't care what you're saying to me at the moment. Like, yeah, it, it kept being like, I think, I feel like every five or 10 minutes, someone would try to like talk to Andre or talk to me. Like it's too loud. What's happening. It's just all these weird. It's like, Oh man. Oh my God. That is amazing. 
Oh, I do remember someone tried to play your guitar, Andre. Like Andre set his guitar down for like a second and someone like just picked it up. Like <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god. Am I right, Andre? Is that Yeah, you're totally right. I wasn't happy about that. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, so shout out to Bong Ripper for canceling that show. So we got to play. Thanks. Thank you, Bong Ripper. <laughs> I want to see if they have social media and I'm going to tag him in this episode. Yeah. Right, Bong we- Ripper are awesome. They're really great, actually. <laughs> I love Bong Ripper. <laughs> I, think, I think we were like, well, if they were going to play it, it's got to be cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. They set us up. They probably were like, you should have Low Green play. They're like, they're yeah. great. They're awesome stoner metal. <laughs> They're the hottest As new act in metal. They're going to rip your face off. Lots of mushrooms. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, after that, I'm like, did I do something to tick off Bong Ripper? Did you? I don't know. <laughs> but after our set, I remember the woman was outside and she just looked hungover already. And it was too late for her to ask for her money back because I guess it was buyer beware. So we scooted out of there. Hey, uh, yeah. no, that exactly. Buyer, beer. you got to do your research before you, you start setting before up. Before you book shows. your birthday party. Exactly. Yeah. You'll have to include all of that story. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of <laughs> loved that story. <laughs> so those are like the stories where you're like, why am I playing music? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it was like one of the times where maybe we should have quit then, but we kept going. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> so, all right. So after the debut, I was listening. I was listening to Greyfield Shrines. Sure. So I was trying to go back and, and listen to as much as I could, and uh, that gets pretty spooky, like around that nine and a half minute mark or so. It kind of yeah. sounds like this this howling or like this air raid siren or something. It's 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 amazing. the end of the first like epic track it sounds kind of like and i've mentioned pelican before but that's really the only the, the closest touchstone i've got in my listening experience to you guys but it's, it's almost like pelican if the ghost of christmas yet to come is playing guitar <laughs> so yeah well, that, and this is all improvised still right yeah we yeah. we have been doing it for a bit and I think we had a little bit of a conversation before that one, probably more. And we had done it a few times, but I would say personally, like that was like the, to me, that's like the first record. Okay. That was, that to me is like, I remember not being happy in the studio, not feeling like it went well. I'm like, Oh man. And like, when we get in the car, we're in Andre's car and we're driving back with all our crap in it. And we put in the little CDR they gave us. And I was like, Oh, this is what we're supposed to do. Like, it was just kind of like, Oh, we did it. It's like, it sounds like a horror movie. And I love horror movie soundtracks. It's creepy. It builds, it goes somewhere. It comes down. Yeah. And I was really proud of it. I felt like 
this is the thing like we've been trying to do for a bit and we finally did it. And I still look back at that was like, kind of like the, the beginning of a foundation for what we were going to do from my opinion. Right. One of the things I really like about the music is that I can hear a lot of the different influences in it. And, but you don't, necessarily play to those influences like yeah, i don't hear the stereotypical sound of whatever i think i'm hearing uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example eternal return from return to annihilation that is such a great track because i can in, in the guitar i hear some my bloody valentine but then it just in the middle of these riffs i hear like siamese dream era uh, smashing pumpkins guitar in it an awesome mix but it's not what i was expecting when when the song would start or or, or, or when i was listening to the album there's some, there's atmospheric stuff but there's also some just killer riffs some drones it's just it's like a mix of my cd collection on an <laughs> album and i love it that's what i think that's one of the reasons why i love the band so much thank you oh yeah thanks oh and i was just checking my notes one of, one of the other things that really threw me for another example of things that I love that just come out of the blue and I'm not expecting on uh, two moons, that clean guitar. nerdy record collectors and kind of into like just really different things. And I think, um, earlier on there was this, we were playing a lot of like noise shows and there's a lot more freedom in kind of the noise and experimental scenes to kind of try a lot of stuff where metal was pretty conservative and very rigid and it's, parameters and in many ways it still is i mean like a lot of metal is very revisionist and kind of like bringing back styles like we have a big death metal resurgence but there's not a lot of bands that are kind of escaping the gravity of what was done in the 90s and in fact that's kind of encouraged right same thing with like a a lot just you know a lot of these little subgenres. but i think that we for me like we kind of had all this encouragement of like, you don't have to have four or five people. You don't have to make four minute songs. You can do what you want. And the audience is going to find you, you know, in the end. And as we, you know, when we get to something like eternal return, we've added a drummer years before that. 
right after the birthday party. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, that birthday party would never happen if Steven was in the band. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, even, even with eternal return or even with two moons, I mean, you know, it is like two moons was like this kind of like Nick Drake riff. I thought that Andre had written and we had all these synths and kind of the drums and, we even kind of named it after it. I don't know. I mean, but Andre's really probably is the person that got me excited about pastoral folk music and Bert Yanch and people like that. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, that's like, that's cool. Like to us, like when Andre starts playing that, we're all kind of into it. Like, we're just like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, how can we make it ours? How can we like, I'm, a huge shoegaze fan. So like hearing like you talk about my bloody Valentine and Siamese dream or whatever. It's like, yeah, those are really great records and great. My bloody Valentine's a great band. I would say, I don't know how I feel about smashing pumpkins quite honestly. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but like, you know, to me, it's like, but my bloody Valentine to me, it's like, think about, it, it's like all about texture. It's all about every song. I just oh, yeah. feel it's like, this could have been a normal song, but it got really messed up on the way to the end. And yeah. I love that about My Bloody Valentine. Like, I was literally listening to Isn't Anything uh, this this evening. It's kind of like, the song's amazing. Like, it sounds like someone threw a beautiful song into a blender and just, you know, yeah. like, slowly let it blend. And, like, you know, it's it's great. Like, and I think for all three of us, whether it's, like, from drone or shoegaze or power electronics or industrial, whatever, like, or pastoral folk music is just kind of like, is it a texture that makes it different from the thing that came before it? Like it's a lot about contrast and that's kind of like how our dialogue developed as a band. So has the writing process change for you guys at all? Because over the years and through over the discography that I've, I've listened to, the music stays def definitely stays atmospheric, but it actually does the opposite of what what happens with a lot of bands. It seems more aggressive as each album comes out. Mm. I mean, is, is aggressive atmospheric a genre? Or should we, no, I mean, we make that genre, a genre aggressive no, I would, atmospheric? I would, I would I would say it's like just intentional. Like I think we kind of I'm at each record just with different intents. So Return to Annihilation was like our first record for relapse. And again, like we're all record nerds and yeah. relapse is an important label for all of us. Like whether it's human remains or Mersbau, it's like, they're huge. Like for all of us in our musical vocabulary, so that's a different record than say, you know, new catastrophism, which was totally improvised in the studio with no real practicing you know, so, and, and the idea of it being like a drone minimal ambient record. So we kind of approach things with intent, I guess, if that okay. makes sense. Is there a main songwriter or do you guys all contribute to the, to the music? Yeah, we all contribute. And now, I mean, since we started out this conversation thinking about ACDC, I want to take this <laughs> to, to something about ACDC that really made me think about one of the things that works about our project. And there was an interview with ACDC where they were talking about how they recorded, uh, I think it was part of like their, one of their early 2000 albums and it was going poorly in the studio in New York. 
and they decided to like scrap the whole session and they moved to this whole other studio and they went to this other studio and Malcolm, who was the rhythm guitar player, who was kind of the leader of the band, he just spent the first like few hours that they were hanging out each day and getting ready to record and they would just smoke and drink tea and maybe whiskey and they would just like hang out. And so for me, that's almost like how we started. Like we just started hanging out, uh, getting like a vibe. So I guess we vibed, uh, and then we, (laughs) and then, and then we would be like, let's try something out. And so even to this day, even with our, this next album that we're releasing, which is probably one of our more structured albums, like a planned album. Uh, I think that's part of what we did in order to create that as we just kind of we kind of figured out what we wanted to achieve and we, uh, I think we relaxed in a lot of ways. So that's, I think one of the things that's been helpful. I don't yeah, know I think, your parents, but no, I, I think, I think Andre's right. I mean, but I would say specifically with songs, it's like, we have like everybody's ideas. It's kind of like, we're, we never, no one ever says no. Like if you're like, okay. I think that's the other thing in the band. It's like, we have an idea. We, everyone tries. Like if I hear a drum part, Steven will, try the part out until whatever I hear in my head is like getting there. And then, but then something new comes out of it. Um, and Andre or Steven, like do something like this with the vocals. I'm like, I even hear vocals here and I'll be like, all right. And I'll, and then I'm like, I didn't even think of that. And then a whole new thing happens. So the process now is it's actually much easier. Like surprisingly, like the new album came together relatively easily, to be honest, like song wise, it was like, was work but it was like really easy to piece it together and make these songs really happy with but also you know i think we had spent a lot of time before making the new catastrophism where we had no structure and we had no pre-recorded anything like no demos you know and and it kind of got a lot of stuff out of the way and cleared our heads and our creative you know, minds a little bit and gave us a different thing to focus on than structuring a song that has like an intro and a riff and chorus kind of ish part or whatever. So it's definitely changed from like, let's get together and improvise for 58 minutes and 33 seconds to, (laughs) to, you know, to now. And I think that it's like, we still, you know, and, and we made, new catastrophism for those fans, like for the fans that like the like 58 minute improvisation, we were like, well, we'll, we wanted to kind of like give them a nod. And we know that that's how we started. And, and we love that kind of music and we love playing it, but we also, there are two wolves inside of us. Right. So, uh, <laughs> and, and the other one is like, we want to make a rip and thrash song and a brutal noise break. And, you know, like it's, it's like, you know, you can do both. And I think for us, it, it's like finding that practice, you know, to make it work. And I think we've come to a place we're pretty comfortable with. It's funny. I like the way you, you put that because the thing that I've noticed, the newer albums have the widest range, I think, in the songwriting. And I, for, you know, for a band that's known to be experimental, I think you've gotten even more experimental as, as the, the albums have progressed with a wider range of sounds and, and you're using field recordings and things, which I, I, I love. I think it's incredible. And I'll, I'll give you 
kind of makes sense. infinite dissolution. It, it's just that the whole thing. It's, it's just a huge leap forward to my ears. It's it's kind of like a, a very like a landmark step forward for the band to me. It, not being super familiar with the band's history until we started talking, but uh, like the the KXL triptych, KXL two sounds like it has some of those field recordings. incorporate that is that stuff that you already have that you work into the recordings or is it a sound that you want and you go and find it andre and steven and i all are kind of recording things i guess and sometimes it's intentional or something's just like out and you're like oh that sounds cool and you'll just record it and then maybe we're in the studio like someone thinks of it like oh i got this i got this weird recording and um and then it just works and i think again it's like i think coming from being very improvisational, you know, like you're kind of like open. Like if someone's like, I have this idea for a field recording right here in the middle of the song, you'll be like, what? Put it at the beginning. Like that's the intro or that's the outro, you know? Okay. And I think it's just kind of like, okay, like let's hear it out. Like, what do you hear? And then, and we're all just open. Like that sounds awesome. And, you know, we'll treat it or we'll run it through effects or, you know, like do something to it. But and again, like for me, it's like, I want every album to be like a tiny movie that you're like, you're putting it on and you have to go through it. Like you're not skipping. Cause you're like coming from like a beginning, middle and an end that there's like, there's this in like a story writing that's happening and it's written that way. And like, when we structure it that way, we spend multiple emails over first to last song and like story arc and alignment and all this stuff. Like, because I want you to like put it on and not fast forward or not stop. I want you to just put it on and, and see this and hear the things that we're thinking about and this landscape or whatever that we're making. And so there's a lot of that, like, does it give you the, the vibe or whatever, you know, like, does it, does it get you in that zone to me? And, and, um, that's field recordings can really kind of do that, especially you can disguise them or, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the, your palette, you know, like that you have. One of the things that you guys have been doing that I, I really thought was awesome is doing the archive releases. I think that that's I, I wish more bands would do stuff like that, because I think that's a really interesting way to, to look at your discography. And, and, and it's really interesting for fans. And do you guys have a lot of archival recordings and are you planning on, on releasing more in the future? Um, yeah, uh, we had. Well, actually, I think it was kind of fan inspired, right, Andre? Like there were fans who were like. I can't get this tape. Is there any like, people were like messaging us to get downloads of things. And, and it was kind of like enough that we were like, well, maybe we should just make it available. Like, you know, and then it was, so we would, you know, at that time, I don't think mastering was 
maybe something that was really a part of our vocabulary so much. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and, you know, like you're putting out a tape and an edition of 50, it's like, who cares, you know? But now I think the sound environment of now has definitely changed where people expect things to be at a higher quality of sound than they did when we released a bunch of these cassettes or CDRs. So we've been a little bit more intentional about, you know, what we have and what we're happy with and what we can release and, and to try and make it feel more like, you know, we're combining, like maybe you got a CDR and maybe you got like a seven inch years apart, but we actually recorded them within a year of each other. And we can kind of put them on one release and be like, no, these are all like, this is where our brains were at the time, you know, like yeah. kind of like, like share with people that we were like the plague journal seven inch and the plague journal CDR and cassette were very different. One was live and the other session was in the studio. So kind of like putting them all together, which at the time we were just like, Oh, we have a 30 minute live recording of this. That's cool. Um, and we released it. We went back to it and kind of like put it together. So be, you kind of hear like, all right, yeah, we made a six or seven minute, seven inch track, but this is a really like a 30 minute drone that we took places live. Like, and, yeah. and we just kind of condensed it for the studio. Interest, uh, maybe it's interesting. <laughs> any, any chance of hearing setting your Jetta on fire? Because I was looking for that and I just got some pretty sad videos on YouTube when I searched that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first thing we did. I don't know. I, I have to go back to it, to be honest. And I, and I, I think I have a, a decent version of it, actually, but... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, again, like that was maybe an addition of 15 or 20 CDRs that we had like the next show we played. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a release, you know, like with like a press release or it was just like, here's a CDR we made and maybe you'll like it. And I was like, everybody's going to just throw this thing out. It's a CDR, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll do something with it. I mean, it's kind of a funny performance to me because it really does almost in a way capture the spirit of the night because it starts out and you can hear that it's a bar because they're playing like guns and roses in the background. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then we, we start going into our set, which was somewhat structured. And then there's also some improv in the set because I think, our friend Alex, who sang in Hexacron, was at that show, and he just picked up a cymbal, and at one point was was smashing a cymbal during our set. And yeah. it actually, I think it kind of worked. Uh, so give props to Alex for that. But will we re-release it? Uh, uh, perhaps. I mean, it depends on uh, what we feel like is appropriate. It might be like we'll do like a Bandcamp Friday and just 
put it up for a day and then take it down or oh uh, man i have to keep no. an eye out for that yeah, yeah. No, i mean it's but it is like flattering like i but i understand too like i feel the same way about some bands where i'm like well what's their first thing sound like and you're like you can't find it and yeah it's like you know yeah i don't know i mean uh but typically it, it all it really like the archive series was started because of fans because people asking us like it's impossible this tape is like eighty dollars and on discogs and oh, wow like and I'd be like yeah that should not be eighty dollars yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like I'm flattered but also dude don't pay more than ten bucks for that <laughs> so yeah. so the la- the last release that I've seen is is 2022's uh, new catastrophism and I've had, I I love that. I, the glare is everywhere. I think it's my favorite. discovered that I should not listen to that while driving or at work. <laughs> yeah. I can't think I would get much done no. at work. <laughs> I'd like lose my train of thought too much, but. And I, I also love the, cause you don't see a whole lot of covers in, in the, the genres that you guys play when, but Dor Easter, Dort East der Weg, I, I hope I said that halfway decently is incredible. decide to do a cover and then pick that um hmm. uh uh, i can tell you i I can actually tell you we were we went to north carolina play a festival and record with our friends horseback and we did a collaborative record with horseback and on the way back driving through the mountains steven was driving and put that on and and i'm a huge popple blue fan and that's from their like free rock time Okay. And I just didn't know it. And I remember like, we all were like, what? It was like, it was like the clouds probably were all like, what is this? Like, this is great. <laughs> like, and it just kind of became like a little obsession for a while. And we're just like, this is so awesome. Like, it's a great record. And that was a great track. And the whole thing, like, it's right before they kind of go super synthy and kind of like drum circle-y or whatever. But like, it's, it's a... Uh, great album and um the guitar playing is so cool and i yeah. have no idea who the guitar player was they might have just been on a few popo Blue records but yeah just it's so it, you just lose yourself in the layers of this weird guitar playing and i just love it and yeah i i wish that i could I could like embody that more in the stuff I do. But yeah, it was, yeah. I've got to check out the, I haven't heard the original yet, though. I've just heard your cover and I love it. The whole album is just like, I believe it's been reissued. I have an original pressing because I always became so obsessed with it. I I think I 
splurge and spent like 40 bucks on it. It went <laughs> very high recently. And I was like, Whoa, glad I have it now. But, uh, it's such a great record. And that era is really cool. Like the agape loves session, like all those albums are like super cool. They're kind of, kind of this psychedelic rock, but very like spiritual and yeah. minimal and repetitive. And yeah, like, I don't think it's Florian on guitar. I think it is someone else, but like, it's very like hypnotic and kind of reminds me of like lungfish almost sometimes. Cause it's just these like, yeah. it's these weird formations like over and over again. And like with slight variations and they're all like, very strange chords, like lots of weird. Oh, wow. Fits and you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, I think there's a 12 string involved. So I think they get like that almost sitar, like raga e kind of feel. It's, it's a really cool era for Popovu, but yeah, we just were like really into the record and it kind of like went from there. And we did do another cover recently for Solar Lodge by Coil. Popleville, man, that'd be, that's a good place to be. <laughs> so, all right. So the new catastrophe was the last full length release from you guys. And you've mentioned you're working on new music. I love the sound of new catastrophe new catastrophism. I mean, it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic horror soundtrack sound. Like, like Mad yeah. Max meets 28 days later, kind of a thing. Is the new stuff in a similar vein or is there, is there something new sounds coming in new influences making their, making themselves heard? Oh, yeah. The new album is called end terrain and I'll let Terrence talk about the, the lyrical theme, but it's some of the most structured stuff that we've got. Oh wow! And it's something that really builds on where we ended with infinite disillusion. So it's very structured. Yeah. There are a lot of layers of synths and vocals, a lot of layers of guitars, and it's more maximalist. Whereas new catastrophism was very droney. Yeah. Um, this is, has some of that, but not much. Uh, and it's something that I'm really proud of in a very different way than new catastrophism. It's some of the, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I was trying to be very restrained in my guitar playing on new catastrophism here I'm very much less restrained, <laughs> and it's just uh, it's a very different record. So I'll, it's, I'll let it's, Aaron it's, talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, it, so the other thing is it's been seven years of demos. Like these are some of these songs wow. are things that it, we were working on from Infinite Dissolution, and we were like when we would when Andre and I would hang out, we would kind of like work on some ideas. Or when Andre and Steven would hang out, they would kind of work on some parts. Then we'd have these demos and we kind of would be like, we would, I would take things and like make it in the drum machine and my synths and we'd be like, we should do this and do that. And then, and we did new catastrophism. And then we were like, let's just make this thing. Let's just like, this is the record. Let's put it together. And, you know, I, I feel like it shows and, and it was for me, you know, kind of like new catastrophism is very like vague 
and like fleeting and kind of like spectral. And I love that about that record. And it's very minimal. And Andre's right. This is the complete opposite. Like every moment of space is like full of notes and riffs and riffs upon riffs upon riffs and layers upon layers. And, and the idea was to kind of go in the opposite direction and give something that was maybe more overwhelming, but lyrically it's also like, I've never written for Locri and never written lyrics that are in the first person. And these are much more about like using myself as a parent, thinking about the future and kind of like, and all of our themes of environmental catastrophe and being like, you know, this is the future and I did it. I'm the one who did it. And like that there's no, that there's no like absolution for like this kind of like giving up in a way that like is currently kind of happening. Like, and I feel that was kind of like where I came from was like, this isn't, like thinking of a future and thinking of like, what are you leaving behind? And then it's like miles and miles of landfills and that's all you've left, you know? And so that was kind of, I had gone to the landfill recently. So that was like my inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first time I can, I've heard of landfill being an inspiration. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of our things. I've been like abandoned malls, uh, the, um, deep water horizon. Those are like our inspirations, (laughs) you know, like environmental catastrophisms, you know, that's kind of our thing. But like, I was like, you know, normally I'm like very vague or it's like a character or like whatever. And I was like, now I want to be like from like a future parent kind of like writing back to the children and being like, don't mourn any of us. Like this was a waste and we failed you all. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's intense. I cannot wait to hear this. Oh. Thank you. I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah. yeah. So I know some of you guys live in different areas. Uh, are there chances for any live shows coming up in 2024? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you, some yeah. of you guys are in Baltimore and I'm a little outside of DC and Winchester. So if yeah. you guys get a show in the area, I'll be there. Uh, we're in the middle of working on it and hopefully as the album's announced, some um, live stuff will be announced. So we definitely are the intent of the new record was that we would be able to play it live. Like for oh, sure. Like, awesome. Yeah. What is the best way for people to find the album when, it, when it's out and follow you guys on social media to keep up with live shows and record releases? I mean, our social media is there and you can listen to us through uh, Bandcamp or any of the main digital streaming platforms. So any of that stuff helps. I know people like to uh, speak badly about certain platforms and I, I share that uh, negative feeling, but there are things that promoters are looking for, like our Spotify monthly listeners that will help us get paid and yeah. demand for us to play a show. So just listen to us however you want to listen to us. Yeah. I don't really care. If you buy any of our merch, that's helpful and it gets keeps Terrence out of trouble because uh, he's got <laughs> some orders. So uh, you know, any of that yeah. stuff is really helpful. You can buy our t-shirts and uh, stuff through uh, our Bandcamp page, which is uh, lowcrean.bandcamp.com. And are the socials just like, at Locrean or is that like Locrean Band or? At Locrean Official oh, is uh, our Instagram handle. So yeah. yeah. Yep. Perfect. Well, that's... I'm so excited to hear this. 
new music and I've gone back and I've, I've, I love the old music. So hearing that it's going to be a little bit different from some of the other stuff, I'm, I'm anxious and excited to hear it. So I'm so looking Great. forward to this. Can't wait for you to hear it. Thank you. So th- thank yeah. you guys so much for take three of this podcast. <laughs> I may have to explain that in the intro, but uh, I really do appreciate you guys hanging in with me through technical issues and and giving this a, a good third go around. No problem. Yeah. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.